We have been on an interesting journey to start the new year as we've walked through the book of Malachi in our sermon series that's been entitled Final Words on First Priorities. I said way back in the very beginning it's final words because it's the last book of the Old Testament, but it's first priorities because what mattered to, the, to God and His people then matters to God and His people now. We're in our seventh week, and Lord willing, next week we'll land the plane. So most of you now, if you have your Bibles, you should be able to be on the final page of the Old Testament, all right, as we're towards the end of chapter 3. And let me just say real quickly what we've been talking about so far in this sermon series. We talked about God's gracious love for His people and how patient and kind and merciful He is. We've been talking about how sometimes we respond apathetically in our worship and we give God our worst instead of giving Him our best. We talked about the burden that's laid on the shoulders of spiritual leaders, how they're called to to elevate what people give in worship, that they give their very best. We talked about the fate of a faithless marriage, of how when our, our marriage is not built on the foundation of God, that it's doomed. Uh, we talked about hypocrisy, how sometimes we call other people to be judged immediately for their sins, but we want grace when we commit sins against God ourselves, and we need to show grace if we want grace. And then last week we talked a lot about repentance. I remember that sweet word last week was, return to me and I will return to you. That we have a, a God who has given us a covenant of many returns, an opportunity to make it right with Him, to turn away from our sins and turn towards the Lord and be renewed in this intimate relationship that He offers us through Jesus Christ. Well, we're at the end of chapter 3 now, and our title this morning is Serving God by the Book. Serving God by the Book is we're in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And as challenging as the book of Malachi has been, this is more of a word of encouragement. Maybe you need some encouragement today. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you, but also encourage you in the Word of God, in this passage where he talks about those who serve the Lord. And I want to start by sharing a story. Forgive me if I've shared this before. It's probably been a few years since I have, so pretend like you never heard it, and maybe if you did. But it goes perfectly with our, our, uh, our passage here this morning. So a couple of years ago, it would have been 2007, I was working in northern Pennsylvania in Allentown, PA. I was a marketing and communications director for a network of hospitals, and I was miserable. It was my first full year of being a Christian. In fact, I remember distinctly my goal then, and I have to be careful because I, I even said this this morning in our prospective member class, I have to be careful that I don't seek the same goal now of pleasing people. My goal was to please my superior, my boss. I wanted her to see my work and see how well it was done and to commend me for being a hard worker. And so I'd get to the office early. And I'd work as hard as I could. And one day she pulled me in her office and said, I heard you've been getting to the office two hours early. And I said, yeah. And I'm like, here it comes. Here's the pat on the back. And she said, if you can't get your work done in the same amount of time everybody else works, then you don't need to work in this job. (laughs) Wow. And it was one thing after the other. The harder I tried, the worse that it got. And it came to a boiling uh, moment here. It was right after another day where she had come into my office and just raked me over the coals. I got in my car, and I'm driving back home, and in that area in, in Allentown, right on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, there's always rush hour traffic, and I'm just, I'm saying this as I'm driving. God, why can't she see? Why can't she see? And then I saw a car in front of me, and I slammed the brakes on, and I go, Arr! I came right to the car. 
to where all I could see in the windshield was, was the license plate of the car in front of me. And you know what the license plate said? It said, God sees. I was floored. It stopped me right in my tracks, and I thought for the very first time, why do I care so much about what other people are seeing if God sees what I'm doing? Now, I wish I could say I always remember this because I fall into old habits, and most of you do too. We're people-pleasing. Uh, but we, need, we forget that God sees everything that we're doing. And most of the sermon series so far, it's been a reminder that He sees when we're not living for Him and we're going to be held accountable. But today, we're going to see the other side of that coin. When you serve the Lord faithfully, He sees, even if nobody else sees, and He will reward, even if that reward is not immediate. He will bless those who are faithful to Him because He is a God who sees. So, in one sentence, what's our big idea? As we walk into Malachi three thirteen through 18, here it is. When we serve God by the book, He remembers us and rewards us as His treasured possession. All right, when we serve God by the book, He remembers us and rewards us as His treasured possession. So again, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the last page of the Old Testament. All right, Malachi chapter 3 will be in... Uh, verses 13 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. Be on page 955 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient Word. We are in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 13 and working our way through the end of the text in verse 18. Hear God's Word to us. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping His charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we love you. We thank you and praise you for this day that you have made, and we rejoice. We're glad in it because it's you who made it. And we thank you that we could gather again here this morning around your word and by the power of your spirit and consider your promises that you're a God who sees and a God who will judge. And for those who are living according to your book, that you bless and reward, and those who turn away from your statutes, they will be persecuted and judged. But it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen immediately. In fact, immediately it happens the exact opposite way. The evil are blessed and the righteous are persecuted. But we trust you, God, that you will make all things right because you're a perfect judge. So I pray as we walk through this text together, help us to consider our own lives and help us to consider your righteousness and your justice that you're a God who will judge everything rightly and that you see all things and that it is good and right to serve you by the book. So be with us now as we consider the beauty of this passage. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Before we walk verse by verse through this passage, I want to talk about a few things that we need to understand and uh, that will be really helpful to us. And some of these things you may know, but I want you to really think about them as we walk through the passage. Okay, here's the first thing I want to share. I want you to think about how God sees time. All right, on Sunday nights in the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking a lot more about this. So it's a preview of coming attractions for those who are a Sunday night crowd. But let me give you the Cliff Notes version. How does God see time? He doesn't see time the way that you see it. He doesn't. He is an eternal present tense God, but He stands outside of the time and space in which He has created. He's not under the confines of time and space. He rules over time and space. So God can see the past, the present, and the future all at one time. In fact, the way that I always explain it in a way that makes sense to me in, in the 21st century, do you guys remember back in the late 90s, they had these, uh, these big projection television sets that were like thousands of dollars, and then one of the features that people would get with their cable companies, they'd get the picture-in-picture. Picture. Remember that? So you'd get the main picture, and then for the sports junkies, you'd get a small window in the upper right-hand corner that you could watch two games at one time. It's like crack cocaine for people with uh, attention deficit problems, like me, all right? So, it, I mean, it really is just amazing. And we, we got to multitask everything, including the TV shows that we're watching. But why do I bring this up? Because here's how I think God sees time in a, just a, a feeble human way of explaining it. That big screen is the big picture. God sees the beginning from the end. But that small screen is every single individual moment of our lives. And He's uniquely and He's present and intentional with every single moment. He already knows what's going to happen. He's already at the future, but He's with us in the present at the same time. But we can't see past the small box because that's where we are. So when we go through things in present tense moments, we wonder why God's not rewarding the righteous. And we wonder why He's not persecuting the evil. We wonder why bad people get away with doing bad things. And why good people are not rewarded immediately for doing good things. But we forget that God does not see time the way that we do. But eventually, all good things and all bad things will come to light when what's in that little box will finally come into that big box. I know it's a a human way of looking at it, but God's beyond my understanding. It's just an illustration to help us capture the fact that God sees all time at one time. But not only that, not only do we talk about that, I want to mention that we've said this the past few weeks why is God delaying judgment? Why are we turning on the news and seeing, seeming like things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse? Because God is a God of grace and mercy, and He's giving people a chance to repent. Judgment is coming. Grace is being offered. We've mentioned this several weeks now. I want us to get this. But we have to understand that God is just. What do I mean by that when I say God is just? Here's what it means. God responds in moral perfection to His creation. That means every way that He responds to us is perfect. Every decision that He makes is perfect. So if He delays judgment, it's because it fits into His perfect plan. If He immediately judges, it's because it fits into His perfect plan. God is not making mistakes. We, we sometimes criticize God because we're in the midst of pain and we want it to stop. But it, it will all make sense in the very end because God will bring everything to light. He's a perfect judge. And by the way, if you know that God is just and He's a perfect judge, the natural response to that, according to the Bible, is fear. Fear. 
It is good and right to fear God. Now, I've made this distinction many times. I know there are visitors here and the folks that have been coming in and out the several, past several months. When I say fear, there's two types of fear. There's fear of condemnation that will be condemned. And the Bible says for Christians, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we don't fear that we're going to be eternally condemned, but there is a righteous, reverent, trembling fear that He's a good Father who will discipline us. And we need to have that fear of God. That's why the Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because we revere God and we don't want to get out of line and we want to honor Him. We want to have a big view of who God is. And if you know that He's just, you will fear Him because you know that He will bring everything to light, both bad and good. And those who fear God will serve Him and they can wait for the rewards later. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. There's a faithful remnant in every generation of God's people, and they're faithful because they do what God calls them to do, not because they get immediate rewards, but because they love God and they fear Him. And they know they will be rewarded, and they wait that promise, but until the promise is fulfilled, they do what they're called to do because they love Him, and they just want to do what is needed to expand His kingdom. So that's the mindset I want us to have as we walk into the passage here. And as we look at verses 13 through 18, I really just want to look at uh, three realities, if you will, about what will happen if you serve God by the book, okay? Three realities. Here's the first. Number one, serve God by the book and you will often be discouraged. Here, verses 13 through 15 of the passage, it says, "'Your words have been hard against me,' says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you?' You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping His charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Basically, these are the words of of God's people who are discouraged that they're trying to do what is right. And yet nothing happens and that those who continue to do what is wrong they prosper the rich get richer those who persecute get blessed and they seem like they're getting more and more and more god is it vain is it pointless to serve you when those who don't serve you are going to end up better than i am this is where they're challenging god and this is rooted in discouragement it's rooted in discouragement i'm going to talk about that in a second but as we start in verse 14 it says israel cries out it is vain to serve god Have you ever felt that even if you never said it? That you felt like you were doing your very best to honor the Lord, but it seemed like things were getting worse instead of getting better? Remember how I said in the beginning of our message how I was trying to please this this woman, this boss of mine? That was my first year of being a Christian. Yeah, I was trying to earn her, her praise, and maybe that was sinful. But another part of it, I was a Christian trying to honor my boss. And the harder I worked, the worse that it got. And so I understand sometimes when the people of God cry out, it's vain to serve God, it's futile, it's useless, it's hopeless. The more that I try to serve Him, the worse things actually get. And God says, you weary me when you say these things because you don't know me. You don't know my my character. You don't know my plan. In the second part of verse 14, it says that people walk as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. It says basically that the people of God, if they're willing to honor God, they're going to be persecuted And mourning is a part of that process of being a believer in a broken world. And then in verse 15, it really just hammers God. It says, And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. 
They question whether evil people will ever be judged because all they can see is that evil people continue to be blessed. Is that true in your life? Can you think of people that have hurt you deeply and yet it seems like they're advancing? It seems like they're prospering? It seems like they're doing really well? And the harder that you try to honor God, the more it seems like you're persecuted and struggling and you don't know why? And by the way, social media has made this even worse because we, we often think people are better off than they actually are. Sometimes the evil are not prospered the way that we think that they are, but they certainly position themselves to be prosperous by what they put on their Facebook pages. But the truth still bears. We see other people and say, how can they prosper by what they're doing when I'm being persecuted for what I'm doing? God, where are you? Where are you? It's an honest question to ask. The psalmist asked that quite a bit in the Psalter. Where are you, O God? How long will you forsake me? How long for your judgment to come? As human beings, we cannot see eternity the way that God does, so we constantly question. We constantly question, and Satan loves this. Satan loves this. I remember a couple of years ago, I was listening to a podcast of these seasoned pastors, and they were sitting around a round table, and they said, what do you wish that you, that you know now? What do you wish you knew then when you first became a pastor? And all of them agreed on one thing. Satan loves the ministry of discouragement. It is Satan's number one tool to get ministers out of the ministry and get faithful believers out of being faithful. Satan loves to discourage. It's what he does. He is, he is a master of discouragement. He will make you think that honoring God is pointless because you will not be rewarded and those who are persecuted will not be judged. He wants you to believe that because he is evil and he thinks he himself is going to escape the judgment of God. He, to this very moment, Satan does not believe the truth of revelation. He does not believe that he's going to get thrown into the lake of fire. He believes that his evil will go unpunished for all of eternity. He's blind to the truth, and he wants you to be as discouraged as, as, as you would be if you lived the life that he lived. So that's what he wants. But we need to stop, and we need to think of a few things. We need to think of God's nature. We need to think of God's track record. And we need to think of God's promises. His nature is that he is just. Here's what I believe. I said it before. He will judge every single person in perfect righteousness. I believe at our day of judgment, it may not go well for many of us. And it may go beautiful for some of us who've truly put our faith in the Lord Jesus. But what we will all think at the time of judgment is, that is good. And that is right. And that is fair. Because God is perfect and he will judge every single person perfectly. Believe it. Even if you don't see it right now, believe it. God is a perfect judge. Look at his track record. All right, look at what he's already done in your life. Look at what he's done in the lives of other people in this room. He may not bless you immediately for your faithfulness. You may be immediately persecuted, but how many people in this room would stand up and say, you know what, God has blessed me far beyond I deserve. I don't always see it when it happens, but when I step back and look, I say, wow, he has really blessed me. And then we remember God's promises. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come according to the Word of God. And I believe it. And that shines darkness and all the discouragement that Satan wants me to have in my life. There's something else I think we should remember. Charles Stanley, one of the most respected preachers, not only of our denomination, but just today, just a great man of God, 
certainly has made mistakes in his life, and he'd be the first to admit ministry took a toll on his marriage and many other things. But Charles Stanley made a statement years ago I've never forgotten. He said in a service, he said, sometimes when you do the right thing, you're going to stand alone. Do you realize that? Do you believe that? Have you seen that in your own life? Sometimes to say the right thing or to do the right thing, you're going to make absolutely no sense to anybody but God. If you're a believer, you need to hang on to that today. Doing the right thing means sometimes you're going to stand alone. But God is with you. You're never really alone. If it's the right thing, God will honor it in time. In time. Until then, we are going to face persecution. Jesus tells us in Luke 9, 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know what that means? Jesus was persecuted. If we follow him, we follow him in his persecution. For doing what is right, we will be persecuted for it. And those who do evil will be prospered in the short term. But everything will be flipped on its head at the end of time. So again, number one, if you serve God by the book, you will often be discouraged. Number two, if you serve God by the book, you will always be documented. This is good news. Verse 16, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. I love the very beginning of this passage. It's it's metaphorical, but... But listen to it. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. It was like this faithful remnant, this small group of people who continued to faithfully serve God. They got together and said, let's keep doing this. Let's lock arms together. Let's iron sharp iron, sharpen iron, and let's go do the work that God's called us to do. All right? And again, if you look in the Scriptures all the way from the very, from the very beginning of time until now, there's always a faithful remnant of the people of God. All the way back to Abraham. All right? Abraham stood alone many times, but he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. All right? We look at Isaac and Jacob and Moses, the patriarchs. Then we go to the judges, and then we come into you know, the land of milk and honey, and then the kings, and then we go all the way up to the prophets, and then the New Testament. You see over and over and over, it's not that the people of God are perfect, but there's a remnant of people that say, I don't care how bad it gets, I don't care how long I have to wait to be redeemed, to be rewarded, I don't care how the evil prosper, I will serve God faithfully all the days of my life. I love that passage. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And this is even better news. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. God pays attention. He pays attention when we're good. He pays attention when we're not so good. He gives us grace every moment for the good and the bad because he knows that without him we are nothing But here's the good thing. We're going to talk about this at the end of our message. We are declared righteous in Christ by His finished work and not ours. But yet we're called to work that out in fear and trembling by honoring Him the way we serve Him. And when we do that, He takes notice of it and He will reward us. He will reward us. He remembers everything. I love this one passage in the Psalms where it says that God keeps our tears in a bottle. What a precious promise that is. Do you know that you have never shed a pointless tear If you're a believer, you've never mourned or shed a pointless tear where God did not know it and is not with you in it. He remembers everything, 
and everything will be brought to the light at the end of time. Now, again, most of the prophecy leading up to now has been those who are not honoring God. That's going to be brought to the light. But the things that you are doing to honor God, if you don't see an immediate reward and you're even being persecuted for it, bank on it. It will be brought to light and you will be rewarded. 2 Corinthians 5, the judgment seat of Christ for all the things that we've done in the body, whether good or bad, will be brought to memory and rewarded in And those who did not honor him will forfeit those rewards. But he hears us. He pays attention. He remembers us in his book, the righteous in the book of remembrance. I remember this one passage in Matthew 10, 42. I love this. It says, whoever gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Something as small as giving someone a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will not be forgotten. I don't know if the youth remember my first year as youth pastor when we went down to the beach, handed out those bottles of water. You did it in the name of Jesus. He has not forgotten. He will remember that. It's already in his book. He hasn't forgotten. He has not forgotten. I want to share one more story before I move on to the third and final point. I don't know why I hadn't thought of this sooner, but this morning as I was praying through this message, this, this story just came to my mind. So in 2006, I was in California. It was the last full year of working in professional baseball. I was working with the Oakland A's out there for a minor league team in Stockton. Stockton, California is not a place I'd recommend you go and visit if you've got some free time. The only claim to fame is it's close to everything else. Uh, I only lived there for one year, and that was long enough. Uh, But I did have some good moments in there. But right before the season started... We were in a marketing meeting with our staff, and uh, my, my general manager said, I want us to think big. Let's think big. Let's do a promotion that is risky, that we just do something that's meaningful and it gets great publicity for the team, but also something that affects our community. And I want everyone to come up with something, and then you let me know. So I go home, and I brainstorm, and I come back, uh, and I say to him, I said, I know what we're going to do. We're going to do Extreme Home Makeover, Stockton Ports Edition. And he said, really? I said, we're going to pick a family that's needy, and we're going to do a complete full-blown renovation of their home. It may take the whole season to do it, but at the end of the season, we're going to bring them on the field and have a slideshow of all the things that we've done to their house, and, and we're going to get the local ABC affiliates to cover the story. We're going to, and he said, great, do it. Okay? I did not realize the project that I was ta- tackling. But I got in my car and I drove to the ABC station in Sacramento and I pitched the story to the reporters and they loved it and they came out and, and interviewed me and then we had a write-in contest for families and the family that won had a child with epilepsy and they had a lot of medical bills and everything seemed to be going well. ABC was behind us. They even talked about making it a national story. I thought, man, we're on fire. Well, here's what happened. The family that we chose, specifically the, wife, the mother of the child, uh, She was not a very stable woman, and I would say that she was the most greedy person I had met in a very long time. And so what happened was she'd start calling me six and seven times a day and saying, hey, when you're getting all these contractors to donate their goods, can you get me an in-ground pool? Can you get me this? 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 Well, when I didn't get her an in-ground pool, she called the news stations and said that we were trying to do dishonest things. And so I show up at my office with news reporters and, and cameras and questions, and I thought, how did this happen? 
Well, by God's grace, it did work out. We, did, we ended up doing somewhere between thirty dollars to $40,000 of renovation. We gave them brand new windows. We gave them new flooring, new, new uh, interior decoration, new electric. I mean, the whole nine. And basically, when the whole project was done, I took a deep breath and said, oh, I don't know if I'll ever do that again. But I remember this. I went out to dinner that, the night the project was over with a woman who was a season ticket holder from our, our team. And her, I was having dinner with her husband. And her husband looked right at me and he just said this. And these are terrible words, but I know what he was saying, but they've sunk deep into my heart. He said, let this be a lesson to you. Quit being a do-gooder and just take care of your own family. All you're going to do when you try to be a do-gooder is take on all this trouble. It's not worth it. Now, I don't think he was a Christian. He's a good man, but I don't believe he knew Jesus Christ. But what awful advice is that? That, that we would try to pour our heart out to sacrifice to give to someone else and because we got a little persecution for it, because we didn't receive an immediate reward for it, we should never do it again. That's what Satan would love for you to believe. But that's not what God wants you to believe. We serve because we love God and we want other people to know God. And you may be rewarded, but you might be persecuted. And maybe you'll be rewarded, but that reward's going to be delayed. Whatever the case may be, we serve God because we love Him and because we fear Him. And when we do that, He remembers us. He writes it in His book. He will not forget it. And we cling to that promise when the sun is out and when the storm's rolling in. And that leads me to my third and final point. Serve God by the book, and you will eventually be distinguished. You may be discouraged, you will be documented, but eventually you'll be distinguished. Listen to verses 17 through 18. It says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. I love verse 17 where it says that we're his treasured possession. Can I stop and say, is there any greater reward than that? That alone. That he would look at you because of your faithfulness to him and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, and you would know that you are treasured by God. What a precious reward that is. And that he will spare us, which means at the day of judgment, facing the great white throne, we do not have to fear because our works are evidence of our faith in the work of Jesus. He will spare His own. He will spare His own. And the righteous will be distinguished from the wicked. Verse 18, this is like the eternal honors day. You guys remember honors day in, in high school? I hated honors day. Honors day is when everyone who worked hard all semester long, the truth finally came out. And for those like me that procrastinated all semester long, the truth finally came out. So those who had to study up front got honored, and those who decided to procrastinate enjoy themselves up front missed out on the honor. Well, that's, that's another way of looking at, at the, the judgment of rewards in 2 Corinthians 5. Those who truly honor God and are willing to be persecuted for their faith right now, they will be distinguished. The righteous and the wicked will be separated. All right, we will be covered in the blood of Christ. We will be given a new glorified resurrected body and we will be living on a resurrected earth forever. We will be eternally heading towards light. The wicked will have to face judgment for their own sin and they will be heading to an eternal darkness towards hell away from God. 
The righteous and the wicked will be distinguished. It's hard to distinguish them right now. Again, we live in a world where evil prospers and where faith is persecuted, but they will be finally distinguished at the day of judgment. It's coming. It is coming. But I want to say this one last thing before we sum it up. I need to make this very clear so that we understand. All right, we're saved by grace through faith, but we're we're distinguished by grace through works. We're saved by grace through faith. Here's what that means. You cannot be saved by your works. You can only be saved by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved by His perfection. So the work that we do is not to earn anything before God. It is simply the overflow of gratitude for the God who loves us and the God who saved us. You're saved by grace through faith. But how do you know that you're saved? You're distinguished by grace through your work. That's what James tells us in chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but has not works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and no one says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All right, we don't need to get the cart before the horse. We do not work for victory. We work from victory. The victory has already been won in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by what He has already done through His perfect life, His sacrificial death, His supernatural resurrection, His heavenly ascension, and one day His second coming. So you can rest. If your track record is not perfect, guess what? You've been declared perfect in Christ. However, make no mistake about it. For those that rest so much in grace that they sit on a lawn chair and never get up, let me just tell you this. Rewards are for genuine work, for things that you genuinely do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will be remembered. They will be remembered. So we need to remember that we're saved by grace through faith, but we're distinguished by grace through works. So let me sum this up in one sentence and land the plane. We serve God by the book by following Christ, a suffering servant who rose again as God's most treasured possession. Let me say that again. We serve God by the book by following Christ, a suffering servant who rose again as God's most treasured possession. I want you to think about Jesus Christ. I want you to think about His life. I want you to think about the fact that He is the God of the universe, but He came to the world as a suffering servant. He came to serve and not to be served, but to give His life as a ransom for many. This is the God that we love. This is the God who redeemed us. This is the God who we follow. I mean, Jesus could have come to the earth any way He desired, but He came in the most humble manner possible, born in a a stable in Bethlehem, living in a podunk town in Nazareth, and and a blue-collar job as a carpenter, and coming up serving, calluses on His hands, scars on His knees, and eventually scars in His wrists and in His feet. He did not look for immediate reward. It was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, and the joy was being God's most treasured possession and receiving the church as his bride. This is Jesus Christ, and this is what he did. And if we follow him, we've got to be willing to keep our eyes on Jesus, knowing that when we're faithful, 
Yes, we're going to be persecuted. We take up our cross and follow him. When we are faithful, we're not going to be immediately rewarded. Jesus was not immediately rewarded until he rose from the dead. All right. When we are faithful, the evil are going to prosper instead of be persecuted. We see this all the time in the Gospels before Jesus is put on the cross. But if we follow him, we will have the eternal reward that Jesus has and that God will consider us his treasured possession because he will see us as he sees his son. That's our faith. So Cedar Street, let me encourage you for just a second as we get ready for our time of invitation. Maybe there was a time that you were faithfully serving God and it was like running a marathon and your lungs started burning and maybe you stepped out of the race for a little while and maybe you'll be honest with yourself and you'll say, you know what, I've had some great moments in my faith where I've really served God but I'm tired and I'm frustrated and I'm, uh, I'm not where I once was. Let me encourage you to get back in the race. Get back in the race and keep your eyes on Jesus. You will be rewarded. God does remember the work of His faithful. He does remember. And that's an encouragement. And if you're in a state of discouragement, no, that's not God that's discouraging you. That's the enemy. The enemy would love for you to be so discouraged that you would leave the church and that you would leave the faith and that you would not be faithful to serving Him. But I'm telling you right now, keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus had every single reason to walk off the path of suffering and return to the comforts of heaven. But he stayed faithful to the very end, yet without sin. And that's the Savior that we follow. And if you do not know him as your Lord and as your Savior, let me say this, no amount of good works will ever make you right before God. You'll be made right before God by grace through faith, by giving your life to Jesus. And if you've never done that, the extension of grace is offered to you right now. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Christ is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, that you will be saved. Give your life to Jesus. And if He already has your life, then serve Him by the book. Let's pray. God, I just confess to you that discouragement is so real. Satan is real. And he certainly has influence only for a season, but a very difficult season. Father, you're so greater. You're so much greater. And we just pray that your promises would overshadow any discouragement that we're facing. I just pray that you would just strengthen and renew and give a second wind to everybody in this room that's been faithful to you and that is struggling to see the reason why. Remind us today that you have a book that's open that is recording everything that we do and that you don't don't forget anything. Even a cup of cold water given to someone in your name will not be forgotten in the kingdom of heaven. Help us to beckon each other on to faithful service to you. And for those of us that don't know you, if anybody in this room does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray by the power of your Spirit that you would draw them unto you at this very hour and that they would confess with their tongue and believe in their heart and know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and be saved. Father, I pray that you would help us to serve you by the book, by the power of your Spirit, and in the name of your Son we pray. Amen.